0: And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. I think we're back on a more uh, emotionally stable platform than we were last week.
1: Oh, has Alonzo finally decided what he's going to do with McLaren? Because, you know, that was upsetting me.
0: No, he's not. And, and actually, <laughs> that whole mess <laughs> is getting even messier to the point that I wasn't even sure what music to play for that this week. But we're not there yet.
1: I'm thinking that at this point, we need to have like a scorecard. <laughs>
0: You know, you you may need to.
1: You you, you might have to like pencil in the tracks because the number of backtracks and double crosses and if this happens, this domino falls, it is intensely confusing.
0: It is. And I have a feeling that this week it's going to get even more intense. But then again, we thought this was going to happen last week. When these dominoes truly start to move, I think everything's going to move and move really fast.
1: Well, I that's think That's my theory. Set. because well, And that's the way it is with Formula One because they'll start making decisions behind closed doors and especially when one deal is dependent on another deal, mm-hmm. everything stays really silent and then all of a sudden Eddie Jordan gets on the TV and goes, well I've heard through my sources that it's going to happen this, this, this and this way and everybody goes, oh. quite frankly all that stuff was already decided and by that you, point.
0: I, you know, you, you bring up Eddie and if you think about it, and, and I get that that Channel 4 wasn't live for Monza. They were live for Spa, but they weren't live for Monza. I'm really kind of surprised that Channel 4 didn't trot Eddie out for one of those two races for his end of season predictions as to where things were going to wrap up. Because this is normally about the time that the cards start falling and Eddie starts making his predictions that are either, either remarkably correct or start pushing people. (laughs)
1: well i don't know i mean he may have gotten uh you know his little ears boxed after the whole i heard patronus is leaving and taking ubs with it and therefore mercedes is pulling out of f1 the (laughs) don't
0: you know he he might have i don't know either that or he might be coming in singapore
1: i don't know is i don't know if channel four is live for singapore but you know all that anybody's going to talk about about Singapore is that it's not Mercedes's best track.
0: It's not, and it's something to be have aware trouble of. There, um, but before we get to that,
1: so I've been nothing but spoilers over here, right? We, we haven't
0: we haven't gotten there yet. I, I, I actually I wasn't even going to really put that in there all that much because we didn't really talk too much about Monza. And before we even get to Monza, we've got to talk about Renault. 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 You know, we mentioned that. Max was really pissed off and he prefers that their engines blow up as opposed to other issues. And Christian Horner has beat up on Renault because of their reliability issues. Well, the last time that Christian beat up on Renault over their reliability issues and their performance stuff, Renault was kind of quiet. You know, they, they kind of just they, they, they allowed themselves to play the punching back. Yep. Now they they're not they're they're not so much fighting back. But they're not being quiet.
1: Oh, so they're being very French.
0: Renault says that there's been a. They they admit that their their reliability is not where it should be, but they have an action plan. They have a plan. So so we have words. Well well we have yeah you know, we have words. <laughs> oh my god, I'm channeling Donald Trump here. No, <laughs> <laughs> we once again were able to see words we have lots of the words. Battle with
1: words <laughs> not actually an action but words
0: no we we actually were once again able to just like back when Honda was having their issues and they were doing their troubleshooting we were able to get a recording out of their discussions of their plan
1: oh we have an actual recording we do okay I'm holding on you do have a blonde don't you
0: no it's a thing. It's like a plan, but with more grains. Vincent, What is a plan? I don't know, actually. My only definite plan is it in future. I'm definitely just using this screwdriver but for screwing in screws.
1: You don't have a plan. Oh, you know what I would say about plans. What? I don't have one. <laughs> okay, so Renaud's current plan <laughs> is to find a Time Lord and a TARDIS. And Amy Pond. And possibly a Sonic screwdriver.
0: Well, you, you never know how far you can get with, with a, a redheaded headed Scotch woman. All right, okay, that could have gone all go, kinds go, of different directions. We're going to just let that dog just <laughs> lie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sympathy cards can be sent to... <gasps> on next week's show, it will be just the bird show. The bloke... Sadly, will no longer be with us.
0: So, actually, we have an overview from Cyril Abitbull over at Renault it's of his that, plan. Uh, well, <laughs>
1: where he is going to fight back with words.
0: Some, something along those lines. He said the last failure they had was a sensor default in Spa. There is now a much better procedure that is better documented than what we had. It's not a matter of apologizing because that should have been in place. I'm not looking for excuses. It should have been in place and is now in place.
1: They drew up a blueprint.
0: Yes. Okay. He says the second element is that in terms of parts introduction, we have been more than loyal to Red Bull in focusing on making the best parts available to Red Bull, even at the expense of Renault. We feel that we have this duty to Red Bull and to Max. And the last thing, in terms of people, is that we have added more resource. It has not happened yet, but it will happen from Singapore onwards. And when we will have someone dedicated to them, plus someone else looking after reliability and operations, we are reacting. We are not taking it easy. We are reacting. And I am quite proud of how we are dealing with that situation. People. That's what it is
1: people need it's people.
0: not it's not bad design or poor parts it's people that's the fix
1: no you know what i heard in that i heard i heard a teenager i realized that i have failed at every turn up until here and have not done what i was supposed to do at any point in time but it's totally going to be different now you got to trust me. I'm going to change it now, even though I have given you no indication that I'm going to change it up until this point. But I'm going to start changing it now.
0: You know what they say about their plans. They don't have one.
1: <laughs> I am reminded of that famous novel, or the famous poem by Robert Burns, The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry
0: you have to put it in action first
1: well you have to actually have a plan yeah well a better plan than, well we've never had a blueprint before that was not a good thing and um, now that we have a blueprint we should be able to do something better with parts but we need people so we're gonna be better now
0: so all of this thing about plans is all related to as we talked about the grid penalties which I believe there was a statistic that came out from uh, of uh, last week's race uh, over in Monza that, like, every driver but, like, four managed to not have some have some impact on their race due to grid penalties. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. Now, there was some strategy involved, and, and, and we should mention this, okay. is um, for— in particular, Honda and uh, Red Bull, their thought was take the penalties now mm-hmm. with the idea of they know the, the nature of the circuit that uh, Monza is, that, that it is very big on straight line speed. If you're going to be successful, you've got to be fast in these straight lines, opposed to a track like Singapore where there's not these long straights. Straight line speed isn't important, but being fast around the corners is. Right. Take the penalties in Monza at a track that you know you're going to struggle at and not do well at. So that way you've got the best possible engines when you walk into Singapore. And Honda, in, or not Honda, um, Red Bull in particular, they've always been strong around the corners. Mm-hmm. And McLaren believes, and, and we've mentioned this before, based on the GPS tracks, McLaren believes that the chassis design is strong enough that based on the GPS tracks, they're f- as fast, if not faster, around the corners than the leading teams.
1: Well, that doesn't <coughs> that doesn't necessarily surprise me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and the corners make a big difference. Red Bull won for four straight years by being faster in the corners than not in the straight line. Yeah, but I can see the logic. I really can. By that same logic, you should expect that if Mercedes is going to need a An engine and take a penalty they'll be taking it in Singapore I mean that would be the same logic
0: um it depends I mean we really don't have I think up until maybe Austin actually Mexico Mexico is probably going to be the next one that um, in terms of straight line speed uh, Mexico and Austin are probably the best tracks for Mercedes coming up
1: Well, somebody did an analysis of taking, like, the last few tracks and said, okay, which ones are going to swing Mercedes way versus Ferrari's way? Um, You know, they're all predicting that uh, Singapore and Malaysia will swing Ferrari's way, but Japan, Austin, and Mexico will swing Mercedes way. I don't remember what they said about... um, Well, that. See, that's one of the things that that, that always
0: kind of confuses me about Brazil is because Brazil is a very tight, twisty track, much like Monaco, much like Singapore. But Brazil isn't normally a track that Mercedes struggles on. I don't quite understand what's so different about Brazil, even though it is a lower-speed track, even though it is a twistier track and a tighter track. They don't seem to struggle on that as much
1: i wonder if it's the kind of corners i don't know i mean twisty on its own <clears throat> is probably not as much of a deal as if they're all low speed corners versus some higher speed corners you know where the breakpoints points are in the corners there's got to be something with that too but also keep in mind it tends to rain in brazil also and mercedes does pretty well in the rain mm-hmm Um, And so the predictions that I had heard about who was going to take what tracks, they had been right to this point. They had said Spa and Monza would go to Mercedes, um, said basically had evened it out so that it would come down to Abu Dhabi, which is pretty much a coin toss as to whether or not Ferrari or Mercedes will be stronger there.
0: Yeah. So back to talking a little about the grid penalties and what the plan is what's the plan so this year the limit was four engines to stay within regulations you get four engines after that you start getting grid penalties um but next year same number of races on the calendar the plan is that they go down to three engines for the whole season
1: now see i think this is ridiculous i mean i think that you can cost control and monitor the amount of engines without taking it down to a ridiculous number. I mean, you're talking about basically having each engine have to last seven races.
0: Seven races and what, fourteen hundred miles or is it no, it's more than that.
1: I don't know what the mileage count on it is, but seven races when, on average, even a good engine, a bulletproof Rockstar engine, is pretty much going four. Yeah. Maybe five.
0: Well, earlier this year, Christian Horner and Red Bull went to the strategy group and said, you know, this plan is stupid. (laughs) We're going to get ourselves in trouble with this. and we're gonna look foolish. We need to rethink this. I get the idea behind it, but we need to rethink it. And a strategy group blew them off, mm-hmm. turned them away. Well, now that we've just had Monza and all the grid penalties that came down, and actually, I'm I'm, I'm looking at the stat here. I, I was, yeah, most of the field got adjusted in one way or the other. But it it was as a result of nine different drivers getting grid penalties of some form or another due to the engines. So what Christian had to say was, he said, you know, it's hard enough for us to understand. Even going to the grid, we were trying to work out if we were going to be 12th or 13th because Sergio Perez had picked up a penalty, but we didn't know if he had picked it up before or after somebody. So it is too confusing. He said, I think there needs to be a serious look at whether there is a better way of penalizing a manufacturer or an entrant constructor as opposed to messing around with the grid, because I think it will only get worse. It will be a shame to see this championship decided on grid penalties. And I think we're closing in on that. I think he's right there. He said, the engine use limit was originally intended as a cost-cutting measure, but manufacturers are now finding it creating long-life components, and proving them on dynos is actually turning out no cheaper. The whole purpose of this limitation in engines was also cost savings, but, of course, it is not saving the costs. The engines are going on a world tour anyway. They're being used, and you are just incurring penalties as a result. Perhaps we need to get back to an equitable balance. Perhaps five engines is the right number rather than going to four or to even three. Wow. And, yeah, I I mean, there needs to be some kind of a limit so that they're not swapping out engines after every single practice session. I get that. I, I, I don't question that at all. But, yeah, the level that it's... It, I mean, they're getting crazy. Do we really need to go and, and make sure that an engine can make it six or seven races in a season? Well,
1: and here's my problem. It's not affecting how often these engines are getting changed. Yeah. It, it would be one thing if the challenge was... that, And we were seeing a trend for engines starting to last seven races (coughs) the reality is the need for new components the need for upgraded engines the need for these things to change and just general wear and tear on these engines is probably pretty safe at around four four races per engine five would be a nice stretch so think this through for a second we're not changing the cadence we're not affecting by changing these grid penalties we're not changing the cadence that these engines are being changed We're just adding grid penalties. Yeah. If you're not actually getting the goal of what you wanted to do to challenge the teams to build an engine that could last seven races, if that's not actually being accomplished or accomplishable, then you've got to come up with a different system. I mean, even just rolling back to five engines for the season would accomplish a lot of the goal because you still penalize Honda for not being able to build an (laughs) engine. But you'd not be penalizing some of the top teams that had figured out how to build an engine.
0: Well, you know, I I think it's two things that need to happen. Yeah, I think that they're getting overly restrictive in a number of engines. But I think they need to come up with a better penalty than the grid penalties or time penalties. You know, the idea that Ross had mentioned last week, Ross Braun had mentioned last week, of docking and penalty points, or, or, or... docking them constructors' points. Yeah, That, I think, makes the most sense. And that also, from the perspective of you just know, if you've replaced this many components, it doesn't matter whether you did it before or after another team, if you replace this many components, it's going to cost you this many points, period, the end.
1: And I think that that's an amazing idea because it's the constructor that's making the decisions for that. It's affecting – it should only really affect the constructor. The driver didn't decide it. It's not like Ocon pushing Perez into a wall or Perez pushing Ocon into a wall. They're making decisions on the track. Those should have effects on the drivers. Yeah. But this one is – this is a team making a decision, a team control piece. The driver doesn't build the engine. The driver didn't say that the engine needed to be changed.
0: Yeah. It's not a situation where the driver is influencing the penalty. Right. You know, it's not driver behavior. It's not a driver jumping a start or something like that. This is the team. So let the team pay for it in terms of sponsorship dollars and reward, reward money, things of that nature. Right. Well... There's a little more motivation the Red Bull's push on this. Why? Which should, shouldn't be a huge surprise. Christian Horner has also said that they're pretty sure that there's more grid penalties for them to come. They are not at the last engines that they're going to need for the season. They're pretty sure of that. So they're expecting more to happen. So, of course, they're going to be pushing – to stop the bleeding. Now, odds are, any changes that are going to happen this season, or, or any changes that are going to happen regarding grid penalties aren't going to happen this season. They'll be for next season.
1: Because I take because in order to make a change for this season, it would take a unanimous vote of the teams. Mm-hmm. And I think you just told me that there is one team that doesn't mind grid penalties.
0: There is.
1: And so, therefore, they think it's a good thing. And so they'd probably vote against changing the rules.
0: Yeah, Force India... They're actually they're good with this now. Now Ross Braun has said that he is going to the FIA to discuss the penalty situation. He wants to get some changes put in place. We don't know when, uh, but Otto Sofnauer over at Force India says, if we had an unlimited amount of money, I'd agree with Ross. Let everyone spend what they want. Then it's a whole different formula. But you can't say we have to control costs but not have this kind of stuff because they're incongruent, those two statements. We have to remember why they are there, and one of the reasons was cost savings. In the old days, before we had a set number of engines per driver you could use, you could use one engine per race, and that cost a lot of money. Next year, we go to three engines per driver. How do you remove the incentive to say, well, I don't care if it's three. I have the money to spend, so I'll do six. One way to do it is grid penalties. They remove the incentive to spend money on engine development. If there is a better way to do it, I'm all for it. When the rules were written, that was the best way, and I, th- I think Otto's missing the big point. Is that Ross isn't saying we need to do away with with using or, or with penalties for using too many engines. What he's saying is the grid penalty thing isn't working. Right, and I, I agree with Ross on that. That it, the grid penalty we, we got to come up with a different plan. But also, for once, I agree with Christian Horner that three is too few engines. It, mm. It's going to be a disaster next year if they do that. And, you know, I agree with Otto. You can't just turn around and throw the doors open and say, okay, do whatever you want.
1: Well, there has <clears throat> to be a rational decision here and a reasonable compromise.
0: Yeah. And and that I think Ross has enough common sense to realize that.
1: And I think that's why he's got to... I'm very pro the Ross plan. Back to plans again. (laughs) It's the theme of the show. Okay. I'm pro Ross plan.
0: Assuming that the FIA and the strategy group move forward.
1: Well, it doesn't matter whether or not they decide to adopt the Ross plan. I'm still in favor of the Ross plan.
0: And actually, I think this one, because... This falls under the technical regulations. This may be something that the FIA can do on their own without involving the strategy. I could be wrong on that.
1: I would be very interested to see if that actually could get swayed. I mean, that could be interesting. But um, let's. this one is going to be one of those. We're going to be talking about this a lot.
0: Well, you know what time it is now.
1: to do what we do every night?
0: No, we're not going to try and take over the world.
1: It's silly season time.
0: No, it's time for the latest that we have on the Honda McLaren situation.
1: Oh, the sillier season
0: time. Yes, the circus. The circus. The circus.
1: Oh, Dear Honda, dear McLaren, what have you brought us today?
0: Well, the first thing is McLaren says that they have backup plans if Fernando leaves. They have a plan. They do, too. Yes, we are still <laughs> with the plans. They're going to just use this screwdriver for screwing in screws from now on. But they have a plan. That may be all it is. No, according to Zach Brown, he says that negotiations with Fernando Alonso and the team are, are ongoing. Now, Fernando has said completely differently at Monza, but according to Zach, negotiations are ongoing, and they're going very well. I assume that means he's agreed to coffee. (laughs) (laughs) He says, but you've got to have a plan B and C in the event you don't reach an agreement, and we have those plans. I'm not telling you what they are, but we have those plans. Okay. That's what we know. They have a plan. Um... There's also at least a belief in McLaren. We don't know if this is the case over it in Fernando's camp, but at least McLaren believes that it is very likely that Alonso will stay if they get rid of Honda and move to Renault. Okay. Even though Fernando has said that he has not given them a it's Honda or me deadline.
1: But they could probably sway him with the, here's a bright, shiny new engine that might actually work.
0: They probably could. But I think the question here is, how much does Fernando want to do Indy again? And how much does he want to potentially run an car season?
1: Well, I think it's much more about where, where does he have the greatest potential to win something?
0: Well, there's that, but if you look at where seats are available, if he was to shift to Andy and look at what the deal was so far, Honda's got the seat. And Honda's got the seat with arguably the most potential. So do you turn around and thumb your nose even harder at Honda than you already have? knowing that he can get away with with beating them to some level over the performance of the F1 engine Mm -hmm. when you need their support at some level if you were to go over to IndyCar. Right. And that's a good question. And I don't know how that plays out.
1: That's a... There's too many options for Fernando right now. We need him to start closing some doors.
0: And, and the other question becomes with Fernando is, okay, assuming he wants to do the Indy 500 again in 2018, mm-hmm. if he stays with McLaren and McLaren, McLaren dumps Honda for Renault, is Honda going to be as willing to let Fernando sit in an Andretti Honda car for the indianapolis 500 Mm. and andretti was apparently considering a shift to chevy engines they've since said that they are coming and they are going to stay with honda for 2018 which shortly thereafter they also announced that alexander rossi was resigned for 2018 because the word was that if andretti shifted to chevy engines alex was leaving for a honda another honda team ah Alex, by the way, won uh, Watkins Glen.
1: He did. Yes. He did. I, um, I was checking something out on uh, Indy. Oh no, I got an email from the Indy Car fan whatever I mm-hmm. had to sign up for at some point, point. <laughs> and um, <coughs> the headline was Alex, Alex dominates uh, Watkins
0: he, Glen. He he basically had the weekend. Yeah, it, it was a strong weekend for him.
1: Go, Alex.
0: But back to Honda, you know, and, and Honda still ties into this overall discussion. Um, Yusuke Hasegawa, the head of the uh, F1 program over at Honda. Um,
1: Says at, he has a plan?
0: Well, at, at this point, he's not sure that they're going to be able to convince McLaren. Ooh. They're starting to lose hope at this point. Wow. What... Uh, Hasegawa san had to say last week was, I'm still trying to make good performance to convince them, but I'm not sure it will be enough. And again, I, I'm reading his words here, and English is not his first language, so that's why the grammar is a little odd here. He says, Honda never give up on keeping this collaboration. Um, he does say that, um, they're pushing hard with their development, um, even though the situation could be distracting. According to to Mr. Hasegawa, it's having the opposite effect. He says all of this turmoil, he says it's accelerating their development, and it's become motivational inside the factory. That's what he says. Um, they have a bid at this point that they want to be penalty-free at Singapore. So no engines blowing up. hmm <laughs> Everything should be working really good. He said, we have some confidence about competitiveness at Singapore. We've already decided the current engine will go to Singapore. We may update some settings or engine settings, but we cannot do a big upgrade in Singapore. Um, Now, when they asked Eric Boullier about the performance of the latest upgrade, which, by the way, is now at spec 3.7, Eric Boullier said, any extra horsepower, we take them. As Hasegawa said, on data we can see some improvement, so I'm happy with that. They're on it's not 3. a ringing 7. endorsement. 7.
1: To me. Could they get to four?
0: <laughs> yeah, but they don't think that this is. I think even Honda is starting to realize that the writing may be on the wall. Wow. Now, what hasn't helped that picture? And and granted, now we're talking 2021. But Zach Brown has said that, you know, when the engine rules change in 21, throw our names up as a possibility for considering to build an engine.
1: McLaren's going to build their own engine. Yeah. Whoa.
0: As a possibility. Okay. Now, there's no reason to think that McLaren couldn't do this. I mean, they build so many other components of the car from, you know, not just the aero and the chassis, but they're building gearboxes they're building engine control units which by the way the entire grid uses their engine control units right um they have when it comes to the supercar markets they have taken the the mercedes engines and so i think they've done it for some other folks too they've done their own tweaking and tuning to it so they obviously know how an engine works
1: that is very key you yeah. know how an engine works
0: you know the the mercedes mclaren partnership on the supercar side, was very well regarded and very well very, extremely productive. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to think that if McLaren wanted to build an own engine, that they've got the knowledge in house that they could do it.
1: And it's 2017 now. <clears throat> if they were to start development, they could probably pull it off. I mean, the last thing you want to do is try to decide that in 2020. Yeah. But, I mean, it's got some interest to it. Can you imagine the hoopla on the grid if McLaren came to the grid with its own engine?
0: I I think the, the big question that I would have, though, is if you're McLaren to build your own engines, especially going what you have gone through with Honda as the sole user of that engine, is it economically feasible as McLaren to build their own engine if they don't have any customers? And I don't know. Now, again, the potentially the economics of that engine are going to change dramatically as part of the spec for 2021. That's why there's so many other groups that are sniffing around the possibility of building an engine for Formula One for 2021, including O. Cosworth who walked away because these engines were too expensive.
1: Well, think this one through. Okay. What if you think of it in terms of global economics as opposed to just engine economics? Okay. McLaren already sells the engine control unit to every other team on the grid. Mm-hmm. There's people that want the McLaren gearbox. Yeah. McLaren could <coughs> help offset the cost of building their own engine by farming out some of the other things they already build that are in demand the mclaren gearbox is supposed to be one of the better gearboxes
0: yeah but the the question is how much does that gearbox need to be adapted for different engine manufacturers true we we know it, it it works extremely well for the honda engines and that's why there's been a lot of talk about including those gearboxes in the deal but How much different is that interlink between a Honda engine and the Renault or a Mercedes, let alone a Ferrari? And I I, I don't know the answer to that question. That could be a limiting factor.
1: Oh, it definitely could be a limiting factor. Cosworth is sniffing around.
0: Aston Martin is sniffing around. There's a lot. I was going to get to it at the end, but you've now drawn it out. Portia is rumored to be sniffing around as well, and everyone's going, "Oh my God, Portia could be coming back. I don't know if we're there yet.
1: Why isn't Ford sniffing around exactly?
0: That I think, is an interesting question, and I don't completely understand, you know, if everybody else is considering coming back, yeah, why not try and influence it into something that you can leverage?
1: We have a commercial rights holder that's now American. Mm-hmm. We're pushing for American presence in Formula One. We're growing things that way. Ford had an interest and a, a stake in Formula One before it was even an American
0: view. But but it's it, it's how w- would that not make some sense? But but there's more to it than just that though. If it, it, I mean if you really get down to it, and and this is why Chevy is probably never going to get involved is Ford has a very sizable and very strong international business as Ford mm-hmm. in the UK um for years the, the best-selling midsize car for the the average level was the Ford a Ford Mondeo yeah which is the Ford Fusion in the US Ford's got a significant presence all throughout Europe as Ford. So there's some logic there for Ford to come come back to Formula One or to stay in Formula One because it keeps their brand out there. Honda's also got a strong presence as well. Chevy doesn't. Right. Um, Chevy predominantly sells as a Vauxhall in, in the U.K., and, and, yeah, I mean, that's what they'd have to do. Nobody I, – I don't know if they've got a history of those ki- of that kind of performance.
1: And truthfully – how many, uh, how much, how big is their base in the UK other than the police cars for the Vauxhall?
0: It's bigger than that. It is.
1: And who makes the Astra? Vauxhall. Okay.
0: Yeah, all, all the old Saturn models were, were like Vauxhalls in, in the rest of the world.
1: Uh, okay. But back to Ford. They should be making a push to come back to Formula One. I think they should be an engine manufacturer again.
0: Honestly, I think if you're Ford, you wait. You watch what's going to happen with this spec. You wait until it gets better finalized, and then you move. But you're I gonna think have to now start partnering too early. With
1: a, you're going to have to start finding a team to partner with. I mean, that's the other piece of this is somebody's got to be willing to drive your engine.
0: I suspect that if Ford turned around and said, we've got a strong engine, that a team's going to come walk over, especially if they do it cheap enough. If Ford turns around and and goes up to um, a Force India or goes up to Williams and says, we want you to be our works team, you can have the engine for free and we're going to give you $30 million a year and underwrite your your simulator and underwrite these development costs, I'm pretty sure Williams will go, okay. Or a Force (laughs) India, or especially a Sauber.
1: I was going to say, a Sauber I could see, but a Williams is, I mean, it depends on when the spec changes and what spec the Ford could possibly do. Because you look at a Williams and they go, we've got the best engine on the grid today. You're dangling something that's unknown. We're watching what's happened with Honda.
0: Yeah, and and if Ford turns around and says, we're going to underwrite you by this much, or even better, they do something that happened to Sauber a couple of years ago. Of we want to buy a forty percent stake in your team.
1: Okay, well, there's that.
0: In exchange for a, we're getting. We want the branding. We're, we're going to give you the engines and all. I mean, if you're serious about making a push, you buy a major stake in a team, and you do what you want.
1: Yeah, there's that. There's that.
0: I mean, that's how Mercedes came back in in the first place.
1: Well, naturally. I mean, that's the way you, that's the way you get teams in Formula One. Not the way Haas did it, <laughs> but you buy stakes in existing teams.
0: But before we even get to that, because we, we have some discussions about new teams, too, because you've jumped to that one now. Jean Todd has stepped forward, and he has said that he is prepared to help Honda stay in F1. He will do whatever he can. I don't think there's much he can do, but he is prepared to do that. Now, the one thing he is not going to do is sign in for a new team to step in. He says that this year there were no serious uh, bids submitted from interested parties, so he's not opening tender, the tendering for a new team. Okay. Because that's the way this works.
1: Yeah, they have to is apply.
0: They Well, it, it's not just that you have to apply, but – the FIA has to believe that you're serious enough to launch the team to even give you the opportunity to apply. So you have to go to them and say, hey, we'd like to start an F1 team. Okay, are you do you, do you? do you meet all of these things? Nope, go away. Oh, wait, you meet all these. Now you can apply to be a Formula One team, but we won't guarantee that you'll actually be a Formula One team. Yes. Figure that one out.
1: Well, you have to apply to apply. And then you have to spend a bunch of money to prove that you are a viable enough team because mm-hmm. the last thing they want is you to show up for one race and then have to close doors.
0: Or what's happened in the past of sh- um, get the bid, get the get enough to get moving as a team, and then have things fall apart the year before. Right. Because that's what happened, I believe, with USF1 was they got approval from Formula One to launch the team, and then everything fell apart. Right. Oh wait! It costs this much to run a team. Oh, yeah. I can't do Formula One and and, and not go to Bahrain. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's expensive.
1: <laughs> well, and keep in mind those were in the days of the Bernie extortion era too. So yeah, there's that too. All right. So Todd's not entertaining new teams for next year.
0: So that's not gonna make things happen. But let's let's go back to to Reno okay because you know it's all tied it's the circle of life
1: no it's the circle of <laughs> reno <Renault> right now
0: <laughs> so there's you know Julian palmer had, had had some issues last is that
1: week. what we're calling it now
0: his Just issues, issues? His, his issues you know the the the, the bullseye has been on his back for a while poor kid and it it, it isn't even arguably it's not even completely his fault no I mean he, he's had some moments that he's driven really well. However, he seemed to have really pissed off Fernando Alonso last weekend. <laughs> you know
1: How awesome was that radio call from Fernando? Of, Where's Palmer? Yeah. He, he's retired. Oh.
0: <laughs> it, it you know I I I get that there was the the move was kind of questionable. Kind of. I didn't even think it was that bad. But the move was kind of questionable. It, it, actually, no, I'm wrong. He Palmer was actually, if I remember exactly what the move was, this this was not the issue where where folks were forced off the track. This was Palmer going off the track and not giving up the position. And, and Jolian was wrong here. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I got them confused. Um, Jolian got a five second grid penalty as a result of him not giving the position back, which, yeah, in this case, I think Fernando was probably – he was probably right in being upset at that.
1: Well, the problem was that by the time the penalty came down, he had been fighting with Palmer to get the spot back for a while, and he wouldn't have had to do that had Palmer – he would have been fighting the next person up in front of him as opposed to having to fight Palmer. Yeah. And then Palmer gets a five-second grid penalty. But in Fernando's mind, that wasn't enough because it wasn't just the fact that he cut the chicane and didn't give the spot back. It was all of that time that then Fernando was having to fight that he shouldn't have had to fight had he not cut the... It, it was There was, like, a domino effect of the problem. And I while I say technically I think Fernando may have been right... I also think that's a little bit of the, well, you did something bad, and it caused this other problem, and so you should have to pay for all of it, Well, which I think is
0: wrong. For, for... Jolien's contention is the clarification that Charlie Whiting made to the drivers uh, earlier in the weekend made incidents like the one in Monza inevitable. He says this is Charlie's fault. He says, it's what I thought might happen. We had a big meeting at Monza, and if someone is on the inside, you know you can just release the brakes. You're ahead at the apex, sure, but the other guy has nowhere to go apart from crash or cut the corner. I cut the corner, came back on side-by-side, side, and made it in the next corner, which y- you you don't get to cut a corner and keep the position. Right. That That's always been pretty clear, even though Julian says that, that Fernando forced him off the track – the bottom line is you don't get to cut a corner and keep the position, and that's what he did. Um, he still thinks that the the stewards were wrong in giving him the penalty despite this. Mm-hmm. Um, Fernando, yeah, notably pissed off over it. And I think there's going to be a meeting at to discuss this um Julian maintains i was ahead coming in the corner he braked super late and forced me off the track i'm sure it would be another talking point at the next race because fernando is not very happy about it but i don't care
1: <laughs> well you gotta give him jolian that uh, yeah i but, racing is racing i i gotta give him credit for that feeling he's not gonna kowtow just because it's the great fernando
0: But this is where it gets really interesting, and maybe Jolien might want to start caring and caring really quick. According to Autosport, this past week, and and we haven't really heard full confirmations from everybody yet, but according to Autosport, Carlos Sainz was signed by Renault this week.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Signed by Renault to drive alongside Nico Hulkenberg.
1: Which makes Palmer not got a seat.
0: One Palmer not have a seat, but what um, Autosport does not know is exactly when Carlos is coming over. Autosport says that the door is open for Carlos Sainz to join the team By Malaysia. Really? Yeah. Which means Joe could be out of a job after next weekend. Potentially. He might want to care.
1: He might want to care.
0: He might want to have a really big race next weekend.
1: So, okay. Let's just follow this natural course here.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. has to go find something else to race in. Carlos Sainz is fed up with being in the junior team of of Red Bull, so he moves over to Julian's seat at Renault. That opens up a Red Bull seat for one of their junior drivers because that's all well, that will take that seat.
0: What what the the way the scenario looks seat. like it's going to play out over at Toro Rosso. If Carlos was to leave the team for Malaysia, Yes, Jolien's out of a seat. Pierre Gasly, mm-hmm. the, the Toro Rosso driver in waiting, gets the opportunity to move into Carlos's seat. What there is not a decision on, and, and, and this is where it truly gets money, because this is all believed to be tied into the Honda Renault McLaren deal, is that interesting? the idea is Gasly gets the seat for the remainder of the season possibly what has greased the skids to make this happen is an agreement for a Honda junior to take Carlos's seat for 2018 with the thought that it might be Nobuharu Matsushita. He would have to be released from McLaren. He's currently in a development driver role there. Again, part of the whole Honda deal. But the issue is, for him to take that Toro Rosso seat, he's got to do... Uh, much better in his Formula 2 campaign, he's got to score third or better, which he's not there yet. Because if he doesn't get third or better in Formula 2, he doesn't get the points he needs for his super license to be eligible to drive in Formula 1 for
1: 2018.
0: Okay. But that's the permutation that Autosport is floating right now.
1: But wait.
0: I don't know why they wouldn't keep Gasly.
1: That's why, why would Gasly only have to get to race a couple of Races, I, I th- they why wouldn't they boot Caveat?
0: Well, that's that would be the other question. And, and and I think that would be the thought is you send Kvyat on his way to keep Gasly but I think that's the question is the uncertainty around Matsushita and whether or not he can get the points that he needs to get the super license because if he can't he, if he's not eligible for a super license, he's not driving.
1: He can't drive. All right. So How does this equal engines for Toro Rosso then?
0: The thought is it's freeing. My understanding is the thought is this frees up a seat potentially for a Honda Junior driver in the Toro Rosso Red Bull program. And it allows Honda to start feeding drivers through that development program, especially knowing how closed off that development program is. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so So, now we're going to release McLaren from Honda, move the Honda engine to Toro Rosso, and then move...
0: Toro Rosso's Rosso's Renault supply supply over to McLaren. McLaren.
1: Okay. And when the music stops and everybody stops running around...
0: You have Carlos Sainz driving alongside Nico Hülkenberg at Renault. McLaren getting... Or, or getting Renault, Renault engines, engines, possibly tor-
1: keeping Fernando Alonso. Possibly
0: keeping Fernando Alonso. Toro Rosso getting Honda engines, possibly bringing up Pierre Gasly, possibly kicking Daniel Kvyat to the curb finally, and possibly bringing on an unlicensed Japanese driver. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need the circus music again? Yes. <laughs>
1: I need a scorecard and a pencil because you can't do this one in pen.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's where I go back to the, um, when things are gonna happen with this, they're gonna start to happen really fast. And it's gonna be, I think fairly overwhelming the way this is gonna go down.
1: My prediction? not gonna happen
0: you think it's too complex
1: i i think it's overly complex i think the engine swap between toro rosso and mclaren is gonna fall apart that's my prediction i don't see that happening I can be wrong. I have been known to be wrong once or twice before, so it's possible. But that's the part I see as falling apart here. Now, do I believe that Carlos Sainz has signed with Renault? Oh, yeah. Do I think that that's going to be a done deal?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, I'm looking at ESPN's page. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do this at risk that when I go back to the story that I had open that we're going to get all kinds of audio. Actually, I won't go back to the page. But looking at ESPN's page, they're not reporting on this. Right. This is just right now Autosport who's saying that a deal has been reached to move Carlos signs and all of the other. Now, Autosport tends to be fairly good about these things.
1: They don't tend to report just general rumors, but like Eddie Jordan. Oh, yes,
0: they do. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wild and crazy rumors. Um but like Eddie Jordan, they tend to be, you know, pretty accurate. But even Eddie gets it wrong or thinks that something's being signed that didn't get signed. So I think that this has got to come into that more to come category.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to need to watch this.
1: Well, if you think that for some reason we're not going to watch this, you'd be wrong.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um so Monza, Ferrari's home track. The Tafosi, they want to see Ferrari win. They want to see Ferrari do well. And
1: well, if they want to see Ferrari do well at Monza, they need to build a car that can go fast in a straight
0: line. Well, that's some of it. But here here's the thing. Okay? Everybody expected and and they weren't completely inaccurate, but everybody expected that Mercedes was going to come in and they were going to dominate Spa and Dominate Monza, that both of these tracks were going to be really, really strong for them. Mm -hmm. And Spa comes around, and it was a close race, especially at the end. And coming out of that, besides the fact that everybody was shocked that Ferrari made a very strong go of it, um, there was the thought, well, if Ferrari did that well in Spa, they probably have a fighting chance at Monza. And they could keep it close. And then we had Monza. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. It, it was not pretty. Well, Sergio Marchione went told German broadcaster RTL, I think we just screwed up. He said, the setup for the car was wrong. I think we underestimated the circuit. He says, I think we screwed up from Belgium, from Spa into here. Now we need to go back to the factory and find out which way the car went sideways, but we will be back in Singapore. Um, the fact, that, and, and yeah, Sergio Marchionne is known for being frank in his comments when he makes comments. But the fact that he went that far to say, we screwed up, and they didn't get that car set up right from the very beginning. Yeah. And they freely admit, and, and all the, the journalists, they were never on the pace. Um, but for him to freely admit it like this, kind of surprising.
1: Well, yeah, but I'm having a problem with the fact that this is their home track and they couldn't figure out the track. Well, <laughs> it's not it, it like it's
0: unknown. it's it isn't. It isn't their home track. It's their home track in that it's in Italy and it's re- relatively close to Marinello in that it's their home track. But the reality is, their home track nobody races on. Right. I mean, they've they've got their track in Marinello. That's their home track.
1: Well, yes. I mean, it's their home track in the same way that the Australian Grand Prix is Red Bull's home track. Austrian. Austrian. You did, did I it. Do
0: it. You did, did it.
1: Did I do it?
0: The wow. Austrian.
1: The Austrian Grand
0: Prix. Yeah. The Austrian Grand Prix
1: that Anyway.
0: However, even though they screwed up, and even though they did not well do well, they did not well. Okay, they did not do well. <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna. Um, you're gonna. Win I had this words at words. the begin. I had words at the beginning. I don't have as many now. But we're. <laughs> you wasted all those words. <laughs> yeah. <in the> beginning. <laughs> um, it has not affected Ferrari in a commercial sense. Okay. Ferrari has extended their Marlboro sponsorship deal. Everybody that has knows. no Marlboro branding on the car whatsoever.
1: Well, because that's illegal. Yeah. Um, now everybody knows naturally that there is Marlboro sponsorship money at Ferrari, correct? Because it's so prevalent.
0: Well, you, you know, this is the the remnant of the '90s um, happy days in Formula One. Where tobacco money was pretty much free flowing into the sport, mm-hmm. um, and then the Europeans said you can't do that, um, and took all of that money away. Ferrari somehow managed to keep Marlboro money and Philip Mar because it's it's ultimately Philip Morris, but managed to not only keep that money flowing into the team but personnel as well. Yeah, because Maurizio Arrivabene used to be a VP of like marketing or, or promotion over at Marlboro. It,
1: it's it's quite amazing, honestly. But you know, all of the the big win pictures that you see of Schumacher, he's got Marlboro written across his, mm-hmm. his jumpsuit. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Well, well, even um, I believe it was the year that Kimi won the world championship for Ferrari, and there was that odd barcode on the car that was Marlboro in a barcode. <laughs> that was Ferrari trying to be cheeky and. The FIA and the EU going, yeah, no, 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 no you can't even <laughs> nice do try, that. try, but no,
1: you can't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, but they've had some unique sponsors throughout Formula One's history. I mean, the Marlboro years, the the tobacco years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have liquor manufacturers now, Martini. Um, but then there was the year that the BBC wouldn't carry the races because there was a condom manufacturer <laughs> that, on the, Yeah, there was on the, on the car.
0: Long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the
1: direct year. <laughs>
0: yes. So Ferrari and Philip Morris have had a partnership going for over 40 years.
1: It's a, it's a wonder anything has lived that long that smokes tobacco.
0: Well, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> but Philip Morris is the last tobacco company involved in Formula One. Mm. Yeah, there is nobody else left. So, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. I mean, there's still money flowing into the team. Wow. So, Williams. Martini. Williams and Martini had a hell of a qualifying. Really did. Not just had a hell of a qualifying, but Lance Stroll, of all people. Crashy. Had, had, you know, going into the weekend... Much like Monaco, a lot of folks said, this is going to be a track that Lance is going to struggle with. It's going to be a really hard track. He's going to have problems with it. And this is a track he does well at. I know. Figure that one out. Well, Williams can't figure it out either. (laughs) We don't know what
1: happened.
0: Now, now keep in mind, traditionally, when the Williams has to face, and and this has been for years, um, whether it's wet conditions or just conditions that force them to lower their speed, like, oh, Monaco. They struggle, and they struggle a lot. So when it started raining in Monza, Williams is like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> We're screwed. This this is not going to work out for us. To then turn around and have Lance Stroll do as well as he did, they don't know why it happened. Maybe Lance actually
1: does well at slower speed.
0: Oh, that could be a good point. That that could definitely be a good Thought there.
1: I mean, maybe that's his issue is that he keeps trying to drive the speed of the car and he does better when he can slow it down.
0: I don't know. P- Patty Lowe said uh, in advance of the race, so that's why his comments are the way they are. Um, There's a race tomorrow. It's expected to be dry. The race is where you score the points. I'm not going to pretend I have any idea why a car is strong or weak in the wet. I'm happy we found today the car was strong. It'll be very interesting to study that in detail. Don't Isn't he know. like the
1: technical director of the team, and he doesn't know why a car is strong or, wet or weak in the wet?
0: Yeah, they don't know. They said they, they did compromise the downforce a little bit because of the weather. Not much. Um, don't know why they were quick in the wet. It, it, it's very difficult to get the right explanation. The rain today didn't disturb them. To, be, to understand 100% why, it's difficult to say. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So he finished P4, but because of grid penalties, he wound up starting on the front row of the grid alongside Lewis Hamilton.
0: And not shockingly, rapidly fell back. Yeah.
1: He didn't stay there very, very long.
0: But it was a safe start.
1: He did. He did not crash into Lewis, which was my big fear.
0: Probably because Lewis said that if you screw up my championship race, you might not live to see <laughs> You might not live to make it to Singapore. Um.
1: My dogs are on a raw food diet, and you might be their 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 next meal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, now I have to say Ocon Esteban Ocon, who started P three and he was P P five. Great yeah. penalties brought him up to P3. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: drove very, very well. He overtook Stroll quickly. The two
0: of them drove
1: well. And they, I mean, yes, they fell back, but they held on quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, Botas was able to kind of dispatch them pretty quickly, but he had the Mercedes and he's kind of good.
0: Yeah, kind of good.
1: Okay, he's pretty good. <laughs>
0: But let's actually move towards the end of the race. The end. Where we see Lance and Felipe fighting for position. Yes. That, fighting teammates. That that had some, some folks on edge, including a um, really, really, really pregnant Claire Williams. That had um, a
1: high <laughs> clinch factor.
0: <laughs> well, Claire spoke to um, Autosport after the race and said that uh, we absolutely let them race, and that was probably more to make sure Perez didn't overtake Felipe rather than put the pressure on Lance. It was a little scary on the last lap, but we have total trust in Felipe. He's an old hand, an experienced driver, and he knows about taking teammates off and the rules around that. We had some issues with both cars at the end with some overheating, so I'm glad to get them finishing 7th and 8th. And, you know, BBC was like, this is really stupid. We don't understand why they were doing it, you know, it wasn't going to make a difference in the championship, and that's where I think you missed the part that Sergio was coming up, and it was neck and neck between Williams and Force India for cha- for championship points, and they want to stay ahead of as many Force Indias as they possibly can.
1: And because of the way the Force Indias ended and the Williams ended, they actually didn't net gain anything because it was a Force India-Williams-Williams-Force India, Williams, Williams, Force India mm-hmm. combination. So the points the net gain but they didn't lose ground from it but apparently felipe had to fight stroll in order to stay ahead of perez which i don't quite understand but perez had fresher tires so whatever they did they pulled it off as a miracle quite frankly
0: yeah so kevin magnuson he's upset
1: what's wrong with k mag these days
0: he, he's upset that max verstappen didn't get him a point for what he or, or didn't get a penalty for what he felt was forcing him off the track it cost him a point um because he was running in 10th and this allowed uh max, max, to, max take- to get up into the points that being said he says all this and he's all upset because you know it cost him the points it cost him everything he then goes and says well you know p11 is probably the best result we could have got but it's still annoying when you run into points the whole race and get done at the end we weren't fast enough though mm. you know
1: <laughs> make a decision
0: yeah but he's upset max on the other hand yeah max didn't really care
1: <laughs> uh, shocking on that max didn't care
0: yeah to Ma- max was to be honest, I don't really feel it was an incident. Also, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that. Hey, speaking of Force Indian Esteban Ocon, um, Bob Fernley says that uh, rival teams have missed their chance to sign Esteban Ocon despite interest in his availability. Now, he says this even though Esteban has a contract with the team until 2019. <laughs>
1: I think this is more of the nanner, nanner,
0: naner debate. It's some of it, and I think it's also the, as we have pointed out before, that Bob might be missing a couple of screws. <laughs> might be why Bob isn't really put in front of the microphones as much anymore as he used to be. <laughs> you know, a, a, after that whole we're going to boycott Austin stint that he tried to pull a couple of years ago.
1: Well, there is that.
0: But Bob does say that they're doing everything, and they have done everything in their power to maintain the driver lineup that they have today. He says they're in a very fortunate position in that, like the top teams, they've got two super-talented drivers, and they're going to need that in order to battle for fourth place in 2018, or hopefully go even higher. The last thing that they want to do is lose talent. He says Esteban has contracted with the team effectively for three years, but two of them are absolutely secure. From a contractual point of view, it's clear, and I don't think Esteban has got any ideas of wishing to go anywhere else at this point. And he says, you know, just to, to further the nanner, 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 he says, you've got to remember that we identified the potential of Esteban some time ago, and we obviously took the opportunity where others didn't, including Renault, to sign him last year. We now got, get the benefit of that, and we want to make sure that we optimize that. He's ours and you can't have him. Nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs> nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's the same thing that Red Bull did over Verstappen. And Verstappen's having a struggle a year.
0: And the F1 journalism world and pundit world went a-, a Twitter in Monza. A Twitter? A Twitter. Because Toto Wolff and Joss Verstappen met at Monza.
1: Ooh.
0: Now, the thing is, Toto and Joss Verstappen, they're kind of buddies.
1: I was going to say, they've known each other.
0: Yeah. They're, they're, as Toto told Sky Germany about the meeting, I've known Jos for many years. We have a common friend, Frank, and he is on a visit here because, you know, it's all about Frank. All, all about, about Frank. Frank. Yeah. He said, so Nicky Lauda and I sat in the office. Our Dutch friends came along, and we had coffee with them. Not more, not less. So, asked whether Toto has any interest in Verstappen as a Mercedes driver in the future, Toto said, for next year, no interest in Max Verstappen. He is not available. Not our seat isn't available. He is not available. Mm. Just saying. Just saying. We're going to stir that pot. He says, he's one of the names you have to have on the radar. Max is one of the future stars of Formula One. Like many others, like Valtteri, like Daniel, Max, and Esteban Ocon are part of this group of drivers as well. Now... He continues, and and we've heard this line from him before about Valtteri and Valtteri's future. Toto says it's all about the details. It's a no-brainer to continue with Valtteri. He's done a really good job this year. He's had his lows this year, which he needs to understand, but we couldn't expect more from him this year or or from his first year.
1: Okay.
0: So, yeah, we'll see.
1: Sounds like
0: fun. So let's talk Grand Prix grand prix sean bratches said this past week that uh, of all of the grand prix promoters that they have and the grand prix that they have this year only four or five of them are dedicated to the task of hosting races to the proper standard which makes me wonder as to whether or not sean bratches and um bernie eccleston of the bad hair bernies has had a brain transplant (laughs) because <laughs> this sounds like a Bernie line.
1: Well, it does. It's poking the bear. I mean, that's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah. What he says, and and, and he calls out Monza, and he calls him out actually in a good way. He says, I think there's some inherent wind behind our sales in Monza, but our intention is to create an overlay for our promoters to help them activate. By definition, a promoter should be promoting, and I think we have to encourage more of that. We have 20 promoters, but only four or five are truly promoters. The rest are car enthusiast groups or governments. We're trying to bring everybody up to a standard, and Monza is something that should be looked at in a favorable light.
1: That's not a Bernie transplant. That's not at all.
0: Well, the initial line
1: No, no. that is bernie sold out to people who don't know how to do this because it's governments and car enthusiast groups not true promoters that know how to put on the show he's looking for marketers like him that know how to put on the show and that's what bernie should have been doing
0: well in in that perspective then that's not formula one group and formula one management talking that's live nation talking
1: yes Exactly. And
0: remember, it's all part of the same group now.
1: Right. But that's what that's all about. That's looking across the ones that are truly, remember Chase Carey came out and said they wanted to make every one of these events a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Um, Sean's taken that going forward. And if you look, and I'm a little concerned about the car enthusiast groups because, you know, BRDC owns Silverstone. Yeah. Are they trying to say Silverstone doesn't do a good job, which everybody I seems to think that's to say, questionable, yeah, says to, to the, turn
0: around the claim that you, same I mean I I would say that probably some of the best that we know of is going to be BRDC and so and the Silverstone group Australia
1: I was going to say Melbourne off the charts
0: um Monza and and I'm assuming that that is Monza doing this and and I'll get a little more as to where I, I think the fr- Bratches and, and the Formula One group feel the same way that Monza has a role. I'm not sure they do in so much that it is just the national Italian fervor for Ferrari and Formula One that powers. Or, or it, I mean, it could be that that just makes their life easier. Yeah. I don't know.
1: I mean, you would think that the promoters for Spa would have a pretty easy time. hmm But— you know what are they doing and and that's the hard thing because we're not in the intricacies to know what is the promoter doing versus what is self generated based on history and things like that but i mean we know that melbourne goes out of their way to make a super bowl like event um so what else does sean have to say
0: well he says and again he's talking about monza here he says i think the passion and emotion and energy and excitement amongst this fan base was captivating it was very contagious and i had a wonderful grand prix not only on a business level but on a personal level going into the fan zone and watching everyone excited was really from my perspective very gratifying and yeah as much as
1: me question how much of that is promoters doing their job, which I'm sure they do a good job, but is he going to have the same reaction to Japan because they have rabid fan base there too?
0: Yeah, but, but that also begs the question of how much of that enthusiasm is due to the work of the promoters as opposed to the inherent natural fan base of the region. And that's something that I don't know if you can really measure right um but also it speaks to something that i think bernie completely missed you know bernie saw this as this is dollar signs this is a reason to strangle the promoters and demand more money because you have rabid fans who are dedicated and want to see it as opposed to this is a fan base that you want to build and maintain and nurture support your promoters right
1: Yeah. I mean, that's part of the partnership that should exist between the commercial rights holder and the promoter community is that the commercial rights holder, while yes, can glean money from this deal, also needs to promote the promoter. They need to help support and provide what they can do to help promote the promoter. These are key factors.
0: Now, all that being said, you can have the most rabid fans in the world, but as Monza also proves, you still get a boring race out of it. (laughs) (laughs) However, also according to Sean Bratches, and we know there has been an increase in interest in hosting events, according to Sean Bratches, they've had as many as 40 new venues approach Formula One group about taking part in the series. Now, the limitations, in, according to the Concord Agreement, the full cap, the most I could ever have as of right now, is 20 races a season.
1: They have 21.
0: Or, excuse me, 25 races. I'm like, I I read that well, wrong. Sorry. <laughs> 25 races per season. He says, in the seven months I've been in this job, I've probably had about 40 countries, cities, municipalities, and principalities approach me about interest in hosting an F1 race, which is extremely encouraging. He says, historically, it's been a very reactive process in terms of cities coming to F1 with interest. We're trying to pivot and become much more proactive in identifying cities and locations that are accretive to our brand and our strategy of hosting races where you can activate large fan bases, particularly in city centers. Now, what he says that they want to do in order to facilitate, there's a couple of things that they want to do to look at the calendar. And the big thing is, he says, you know, right now, they jump all over the globe. There's no th- thoughtful choices to go with it. What he would like to do is to regionalize it. Mm. And as we have seen, and as we're, I think we're about to see over the next couple of, wait, couple of races, there's some pluses and minuses to pulling this off. He says, in an ideal world, forget the order, you have the kind of first third of races in Europe Second, third in the Americas, including basically South America, with the last bit in America. And again, he's an American, so he's doing this. But it's that idea of you group these together so that, you know, you go through Europe, you've got your 18-wheelers that can take it around, finish that, your 18-wheelers go away, they've got 10 747s that fly around the world, you employ those to move to the next region, handle that bit of it logistically it becomes easier
1: well yeah which yes and no Flyaway races are hard on the teams
0: well that's the thing it is from a logistic standpoint from transport yes it makes sense from a logistic standpoint in terms of maintaining the cars and developing these cars it becomes hard to get them back to the factories to do what they need to do but the other thing that's driving his, his the the idea to fo- follow this strategy is because it allows them to regionalize the advertising packages, because you've got some advertisers who want to participate in Formula One and sponsor Formula One that are not global in nature. Right, Petronas is not a household brand in the United States, but they are in in um, South America. Eni and i is another one. They're not a household brand in the U.S., but they are in Europe.
1: remember when McLaren came to the U.S. Grand Prix that one year, and they took Vodafone off their car and put Verizon, Verizon yeah. on the car. Um, now, here's the problem with that, though. And we're seeing Singapore and Malaysia. Those races are awfully close together, and you wind right. up dividing. You know, People are able to go to one or the other, but not both, where if they were further apart— people might be able to justify two weekends away.
0: And, and I think that's the challenge that you're going to run into if you have a stack of Montreal, Austin, Mexico City, and possibly another American race. You run into that problem. The only way I could see that working out is there's other economic considerations that are put in place so that the tickets aren't so stupid expensive. right? Because, yeah, IndyCar can go and pull weekends like that without any kind of a problem it's a sustainable model if you model it properly and that's the thing is i don't think formula one is modeled to facilitate that you
1: know i looked it up and i think i'm right in my quote here that you could get a season pass for every indy car race now keep in mind travel notwithstanding Mm -hmm. but at like a general admission type ticket I want to say it was a 1000 to $1,500 for the season.
0: And that includes paddock access.
1: Probably. Because I think once you get that many tickets, you get paddock access as part of it.
0: But you also, you, you, you look at it from this perspective of where we sit in Cleveland, from where we are, within a six-hour drive, mm-hmm. there's five different races. Mm-hmm.
1: Does that include the two that are in Detroit?
0: That includes Detroit. That includes uh cleveland It in, or excuse me it includes mid-ohio it includes watkins Glen, um and it includes indianapolis you expand that out to nine hours you also include the new race that, that they did in um i believe there was one in st louis this year um you also include um road america oh and i forgot pocono i was gonna say poconos, poconos easily within nine hours if not five hours
1: yeah now but because the ticket prices are such it would be possible for us to do all of those races
0: yeah if we had the, the time
1: if, yeah time being what it is <laughs> and i'm not oh, in toronto and i'm not entirely sure that our listenership would go for the seven week hiatus that it would take for us to do that yeah <laughs> i mean we have demanding fans
0: So last couple of stories, because we've we've run kind of long. Ross Braun says that he is looking to increase the number of F2 drivers taking part in Formula One practice sessions. Now he says this, and I've got to wonder if the Formula One drivers are in agreement on this one. His position is this is a great way for rising stars in F2 to show their, their talent, show their stuff, show their capabilities introduce them to the Formula One fan base um, as the rising stars. But as we know, Roman Grosjean got pretty well ticked off every time that Jolyon Palmer took his seat in Free Practice 1.
1: I know. I think it's, I think, quite frankly, what they should do is have a special young driver or Formula Two driver practice that is like, free practice point five you don't take away the practice from the drivers that are driving that weekend but you give them an opportunity
0: actually i think what you do truly and and we've bounced this idea out there before is you're looking for ways to maximize the 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 value in the on-track action on a race weekend so a friday either post-qualifying or even pre-qualifying between free practice three and maybe qualifying you have the teams and you underwrite the team so that they can do this but you have the teams roll out a third car mm-hmm. and they get their choice of either f2 or their test and development drivers they run a race in the cars and it counts for half points
1: i love it I love in it. the
0: constructors championship and
1: maybe some points for super licenses
0: yeah. Actually super license would be a great one if if they're selected for that. They, you know, you end up in, in top 5.
1: Yeah, you, you, you give the drivers an incentive too. You know, this could be some points for the super license so that you might not have to finish 3rd in F2 to get enough points. He, here here's
0: another <laughs> thought, okay? If, again, calling back on the IndyCar thing and the way they've got their development process up through Indy Lights and Mazda Road to Indy and and those junior series, the winner of those series are given a quote unquote scholarship Mm -hmm. that brings them up into the next level, the next racing series, including um, Into into IndyCar. It's too much to ask that. They bring these kids right into Formula One. But what if that was the scholarship race? Mm-hmm. Was that third car race that gets constructors' points?
1: I think it's a phenomenal idea. And since Ross is a fan, yes, I'm sure he will take this under advisement as a great idea. Take it to um, the FIA as a, as a possibility. Because I think it makes a whole lot more sense than giving up free practice one for the main line drivers mm-hmm. they need the practice
0: and it allows them to get the test and development and, and actually use the test and development drivers and in some cases it encourages the teams to hire reserve drivers which they haven't been doing
1: right i mean goodness gracious um probably need to have a reserve driver that's not also doing commentary on sky sports
0: but at least that ensured he was there for the weekend i know hey <laughs> So Jean Todd is talking halo. What he has floated is this idea of using the halo to um, show who is leading the championship. The idea is similar to Tour de France. Well, no, think about this. The idea is is like a Tour de France type thing. The, the leader of the Tour de France, regardless of whether or not they've won stages, wears a yellow jersey. Right. So that's the idea is you get a yellow a, a yellow halo if you're leading a championship. Now, where this could be a problem is they've already told the teams that you can sell sponsorship on the halo.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. So
0: <laughs> if teams have sold sponsorship on a halo, that might be a problem.
1: Okay. Um, I foresee the concept of the yellow halo or the leading... Uh, halo concept going horribly awry much like the glowing puck in hockey
0: well except for that the glowing puck wasn't really glowing where this would be an actual colored halo
1: yeah see i don't think that's a good idea either okay plus i mean are they going to be able to pick a color that matches everybody's car and doesn't clash if it's a yellow halo, it might clash. What if one of the sponsors for that car, yellow, is not one of their colors?
0: Oh, well, you have to write that in.
1: Or, you know, then you've got like a Renault Team Banana where it's just going to blend right in. Not that they would ever be leading the championship, <laughs> but let's just, you know, let's level set. It's possible.
0: Well, we'll see what happens with that. But it, it has been floated out there. Now our last story was supposed to be that oh my god Porsche is considering possibly building an engine for Formula One, but we've already done the oh my god Porsche is possibly considering a story considering an engine for Formula One story. So that was our last story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yellow halos, huh? Yeah, that's that's what we're ending on, huh?
0: <laughs> that's apparently what we're ending on.
1: All right. Well, on that note, I think we should call it a show. Yeah. We are so glad you came. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you.
0: Okay, bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good.